Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Well, what's up? How are we this morning? Good, a few of you. Isn't that the worst joke that we do every single time as pastors? We like holler out, what's up? And there's three of you. And then we're all like, that's not good enough. And then out of pity, you guys respond. And you're like, all right, what's up? So um, we'll continue to milk that joke though. So if you guys want to, uh, just respond the first time. Just say, what's up, scream at us, and then we can move right along. But if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, My name is Caden. I'm the worship pastor here. I have the privilege of hanging out with a lot of awesome, creative, gifted, slightly emotional musicians, and I love it. I love it. I'm totally in that category, um, and and it's a blessing. And so I have to first just, I have to give a shout out to Austin. Um, To do this every single week to preach is exhausting and stressful, and I can do it like three or four times a year, and I'm good. And I'll just stick, I'll stick there. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited to open up the word with you guys. I feel like the Lord has dropped some things in my heart that is just going to be super applicable to us as a community, as a group of believers. Um, but before we get in, just because I'm, I'm curious, I had a first time experience a few weeks ago where um, a woman on our staff who will remain nameless, Steph Hewittson, <laughs> called me a Grinch. She called me a Grinch, and I, I took that word, and I laid it before the Lord, and, and I, was just, I was just processing if that to be true, and I think she was right. <laughs> I'm actually like a little bit of a Grinch, and the staff and my friends know, I just, I don't like singing and doing Christmas music. I really don't. I can listen to it. I love Michael Bublé's album. I really like Justin Bieber, <laughs> but I don't love singing it, and so by, by a show of hands, because I want to know who I'm talking to. In terms of holiday favorites, where's Christmas in the room? Raise your hand if like Christmas is your all-time favorite. Okay, yeah, there's a, there's a good number in here. That's pretty good. That was honestly less than I was expecting. What about Thanksgiving? Oh, actually Thanksgiving, my favorite. Come on, this is my group right here. I love Thanksgiving. It's like colder weather, but it's not, it's not winter. It's not snow. Um, yeah, give me a sweater and a pumpkin spice latte and I'll be all right. What about Easter come the spring? I got, a, I got a couple. Okay, Independence Day? Okay, I feel like there are like a lot of you who did not participate in this. Um, and we're not even going to mention Halloween. That's, that's the devil's holiday. I'm just kidding. You guys are like, stick to music. I'm just So as you guys know, we have been in this Exodus series for a couple months now. Um, we've been looking at Israel's story and God's interaction and his relationship with his people. And, and one of the things that I think is just really important for us to get, and something Austin has mentioned, is he said over and over that Israel is in this way, this cool, mirrored, prophetic image of our relationship with Christ. And if you remember a few weeks ago, he was talking and he said, it's so unique in the story that God, he, he brings Israel through the Red Sea and he swallows up the Egyptians. And three days later, the, the Israelites are like, we're going to die. We don't have anything to eat. We're in the desert. We're dead. And I just imagine God in that moment being like, you guys serious? Like I split an ocean for you, but then Austin's tie, which stung the most was back to like how often we do this in our walk with Christ. We show up on a Sunday and we're singing about his faithfulness and how he'll never leave us. And then three days later on a Wednesday, we're questioning everything. We're questioning our faith and, and how similar Israel's journey with Christ is similar to our journey with Christ. And so what we're going to look at, we're going to look at a decision that Israel had made in Exodus 19, that I think we as Christians face a lot as well in our life. 
some decisions that may, they make that is the wrong decision. And hopefully as we look at their decision, we can walk away making the right decision. So if you guys would, before we get in, would you guys just bow your heads and let's pray. Let's welcome the Lord. Well, Father, we just welcome you. Holy Spirit, we just turn our attention to you. God, we ask that as we open up your word and as we read the scriptures, would it read and shape us? Would our hearts be quick to repent and quick to turn? Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the way that you have been so patient and kind with us and the way that you walk with us through this life. And so we give you glory, we give you honor. It's in your mighty name, everyone said, amen. Amen. So if you guys would, if you have your Bible with you, would you open your Bible to Exodus chapter 19? We're going to look at three chapters today, three portions of scripture, um, and see how they all relate and how there is this prophetic image of what life looks like today for us. So Exodus 19, just for some context for you guys, Israel is out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. Exodus 16 is bread from heaven. Exodus 17 is water from a rock. Exodus 18 is Jethro's advice to Moses. And now we pick up in Exodus chapter 19. And Moses and God are on a mountain. It's called Mount Sinai. And they're having a conversation together. And we're going to pick up in verse 4. So Exodus 19 verse 4. And they will be up on the screen there. It says this. You yourselves, this is God speaking to Moses. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. And verse six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Austin just last week had kind of touched on this verse about what marks a kingdom of priests. But what I want to point out in this verse that I think is super unique is the covenantal language. We see God and we see God and Moses in conversation, and God says, if you do this, if you obey my commandments, if you keep my precepts, precepts, then I will be to you, then you will be to me a kingdom of priests. So there's a covenant that is formed in this moment in verse four. And now let's jump on a little bit, a little bit lower to verse seven. And it says, so Moses came and he called all the elders of the people and he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. In verse eight, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, we need to catch this. This is a covenant that has been made, a covenant, a promise, a relationship between God, the God of the heavens and his people, Israel. They come together and God says, if you will just obey my commandments and keep my precepts, then you guys will be a kingdom of priests to me, set apart as my special treasured possession. And then Moses brings it back down the mountain, Israel's all in. They're all excited about it. And then we pick up in verse nine, and this is where things get really, really unique. And I want us to look particularly at some language in verse nine. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Let's look at that again. God says to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people that the people that Israel may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So they've made this covenant and now God directs Israel and he says, I'm about to come to you in this smoke. And so for three days, I need you to set yourselves apart. I want you to not come near Mount Sinai. I don't want you to touch it. If you touch it, you will be stoned. Stay away from unclean animals because for three days, I need you to set, set yourself apart. And then after three days, there's going to be this trumpet blast and God is going to break through the heavens and he's going to descend on this mountain. So Israel agrees to the terms. And then let's look at verse 13 because this is another important 
language that we need to look at. It says, when speaking about consecration, no hand shall touch him or he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man. But then catch this. It says, when the trumpet sounds, this is after the three days, they shall come up the mountain. Not just Moses, but Israel shall come up the mountain. So God falls, he rests on this mountain with thunder, lightning, and smoke. And it's this miraculous moment where God actually breaks through into the earth that he had created. And then let's pick up in verse 17. It says, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Can you just imagine for this moment, just think about it for a second. The God who created the earth actually breaks through and he's revealing himself through this cloud of smoke and he rests upon this mountain. And his invitation to all of Israel was, I want all of Israel to come up and hear my voice. I want all of Israel to come up and hear my voice. And so we see in verse 17, they're all standing at the edge of the mountain, right? All of Israel, Moses, and they're like, we're about to ascend this hill. We're about to go and meet God. And God speaks from the smoke and he says, hold up. No one come up the mountain yet. He says, I need you guys to follow some rules because we do serve a perfectly loving God. Amen. We also serve a perfectly just God. And in this moment, in the sight of sin, there requires sacrifice. And so God, out of his richness of mercy, he tells Israel, he's like, none of you push through yet. None of you come up the mountain yet, because if you do, you will be consumed. And so now we jump to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Number one, we've just begun. God showed you first in your life. I'm a church kid. I know the songs. Exodus 20. We look at all those Ten Commandments, but I want us to pick up in verse 18. Think again with Exodus 19 in mind. God's calling all of Israel up the mountain. And now we see Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. And I really do believe that this has to be one of the saddest portions of Scripture. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And then verse 21, the people stood off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. God calls Israel up the mountain. He says, if you will follow and obey my commandments and my precepts, you will hear my voice. God gives them the commandments. And then we see Israel's response. They distance themselves. They stand far off. And now we're going to jump. We're going to jump forward. We're going to jump to Exodus 33. And I think one of the reasons why I want to jump to Exodus 33 is I think some people say that this is just a month or so after that experience at Mount Sinai. But I also believe that Exodus 33 is this unique prophetic image of what much of Christianity looks like today. And so we're going to pick up reading in verse 7. And it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. Verse 10, and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship 
each at his tent door. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. You guys see the the movement of the story from 19, 20, and 33. And and we see Moses, now this man, instead of now ascending a mountain, he's just entering a tent and he's speaking to God face to face. And it says, anyone who would search after him would go to the tent. But I think if you look a little bit deeper, you actually begin to see how ridiculous this, this story is. We see God calling all of Israel up the mountain. He's saying, hey, I want all of you to come up to hear my voice. And when I rest on this mountain, you will hear as I speak to Moses. And then we see later in the story, just a month and a half later, that Israel is instead, they're worshiping from the comforts of their own tent and they're watching as people go out and they pursue and they talk to God face to face in this tent outside the camp. It's actually pretty heartbreaking. And so I asked the question, how do these connect? Exodus 19, Exodus 20, and Exodus 33. I think the first thing that we do see is we see God's heart. We see God's heart. He breaks through the heavens. He descends on this mountain and he invites all of Israel up the mountain. And what is their response? They stand far off. God then moves closer by making him accessible through a tent. And what is Israel's response? They stand far off. And then we even see later that God sends his own son in the form of a man. And now what do we often do? We stand far off. Because the truth is God has always desired intimacy with his people, always. We see it in Genesis with his relationship with Adam and Eve. We see it in, in Genesis 12 with his relationship with Abraham. We see it in Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai. We see it in Exodus 33 at the tent of meeting. And then we see it in the new covenant with Jesus Christ. We see God continually moving closer and closer to his people. But I believe the problem is that many of us have settled for Moses-like figures to interact with God on behalf of us. We've settled for secondhand words from God. We've settled for a life distant from God while others enter into the tent and speak to them. In fact, I would say many of us have become okay with pastors, thinkers, teachers, and theologians to be the people who enter into the tent and hear his voice and simply relay it back to us. We've become okay with hearing God's gentle whisper through a Moses-like figure. Like, look back. Do you remember in this Exodus 19 verse 9? Let's pull that verse up again. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. forever. God's heart was for all of Israel to hear his voice. We see Israel's same heart in 1 Samuel 8 verse 7, where he actually, he's, uh, Israel has come to Samuel and they say, we want to have a king like other nations. And then, and then the Lord, speaking to Samuel, he says, Samuel, do not, be, do not be offended, for they have rejected me. They haven't rejected you. God's heart has always been intimacy with his people. And yes, he calls Moses-like figures, and yes, he calls leaders, but his heart was always that all of Israel, all of his people, would hear his voice. And to make the whole situation worse, Israel actually had an excuse. Think about it. Israel actually had a reason to not climb the hill because if there was sin in their life, they would be consumed. So their fear, their, their, their desire to step back and step back was actually justified. The problem is we as Christians don't. 
We have a high priest. Hebrews 7 and 8 talks about a high priest who came and instead of ascending Mount Sinai, he ascended Golgotha and on his back rested a cross and he bore our sin and our shame and our suffering and, and, and enjoyed, not enjoyed, and experienced all the pain and the suffering that was rightfully ours so that now we can have full access to the kingdom of God. We see that, right? Then in the moment when Christ breathed his last breath, there was something that happened in the tabernacle. The veil was split top to bottom. Now we have full access. And what often do we do as Christians? We stand far off. We choose to worship from the comforts of our own tent. And we don't have any excuse. Does it mean it's easy? No. Does it require effort, energy, intentionality, practice, thought? Yes. But the truth is God has removed every barrier, every boundary, every wall so that we can have access to him and yet we still stand far off. And so since our story is so similar to Israel's, I wanna to speak to what I believe are maybe four camps of people. I would say, which Israelite camp do you find yourself in today? Because I think there were people who sought after God and there were people who were lukewarm and there were Moses-like figures and we have these different categories. And so, so as we open up or as we look at these four camps of people, I want you to ask the question, where are you? Where are you in an Israelite camp? Where do you find yourself today? And the first one that I want to speak to um, is the lost, or those who haven't ever left Egypt. Because maybe you've been attending church for a while, and um, <laughs> your, your grandmother keeps inviting you, or that friend keeps inviting you, and you continue to come, and you continue to come, but you have never actually relinquished control of your life and stepped into believing Jesus is Lord and Savior. And instead, you find yourself still in Egypt, still worshiping the gods of your own self. You find yourself falling into the same old rhythms and patterns that you promised yourself you never would. And you find yourself empty. Jesus came and he said, I have come to bring life and life to the full. The beautiful thing about leaving Egypt is there is a land that is promised. There's a better land, a better country that is promised to us and a life with purpose and calling Yes, it requires sacrifice. Yes it, yes, it requires surrender. But I want you to really evaluate for yourself. And maybe you've been attending church for years. Have you actually left Egypt? Have you left your old life? But the second camp, and this is the camp that I want to spend most of the time on because it, it, it touches my heart closely because of my upbringing, but this is the lukewarm or the religious camp. Maybe, maybe you've seen the miraculous things that God has done in your life and, and you've seen him split the ocean, but you actually have never chosen to walk through. I would say this group of people are often the people who they believe in God, but they have actually never stepped into cultivating a relationship with God. And I'm talking kind of specifically even to some of the high school, middle school or college age students in the room. A lot of the time that's where you actually begin to think for yourself and make your own decisions and you can't live off the wake of your parents' faith. Because I think what is really unique about the Israelite story is the plagues, the provision in the desert, the, the splitting of the Red Sea, all of those things were actually to lead Israel somewhere. I think at times we can see it as like, oh my gosh, we saw God's majesty and his power to put on display and he can split the ocean. And yet many of us don't realize that all of those things, the plagues, 
the food on the ground. It was all to lead Israel to Exodus 19 in Mount Sinai to come up and hear his voice. Every single one of those things was a desire for God to go, come to me, listen to my voice. I desire relationship. But I think at times, if you've grown up in the church and your parents have an awesome faith and you have a Bible verse on the wall, we at times can just see the works of God, but not understand that those are to drive us into knowing him better. Those are to push us to knowing him better. John 17, verse three, it says, and this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And this is how you get eternal life, that you know him, that you know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And the word know there is not an informative no, it is not an intellectual no, and it's not a Wikipedia search no. It's an experiential no, it's actually the same word that is used to describe spouses and marital intimacy. There's a deep, profound, experiential knowing of someone. And God says, this is how you get eternal life, that you know me. And so I'll, I'll even pick on myself for a moment. Um, I, I am beyond blessed to have two parents who love the Lord. I was a pastor's kid. I was a teacher's kid. I attended a Christian high school. My siblings love the Lord. My grandparents love the Lord. And you best believe in some bedroom at my parents' house, there were the fruits of the spirit on some picture frame somewhere on the wall. Like I can guarantee you, I, I watched VeggieTales growing up. I feel like I should get some star for that. But like, I, I am the church going religious kid. Like I grew up in all of it. And let me tell you, none of those things could save me. My parents' faith, it couldn't save me. The picture frame on the wall with the Bible verse can't save me. The VeggieTales series, it can't save me. What saved, what, what saved me is actually knowing and believing in God. And so I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna challenge now you. Maybe you take your upbringing and your, your background and, and your family and the people in your life and I want you to set it all aside. And even for a moment, like I'll take this and I'll set it aside. And I'll take, the, I'll take my, my upbringing, the VeggieTales series, I'll put it aside. You take the, the God-fearing, closet-praying grandmother and you set, you set her aside gently and, <laughs> and set it all aside. And if I, as a complete stranger, came up to you, I said, hey, I heard, I heard you're a Christ follower. I heard you, you're a Christian. Can you tell me about him? What is he like? What are his qualities? What are his attributes? What does his voice sound like? What moves his heart? And if the only thing that can come to mind is, well, I read about him being this. Oh, well, I've, I've heard my parents actually have experienced this and you can walk through and you never have a moment in your life where you've tasted and you've seen that he is real and that he is good and that you actually know him on a personal side. This, we need this. We need the information. We need the, the intellectual side of our relationship, but he's also a person that we can experience. And I'll even pick on myself. If you were to come and ask me that question, I can go, oh, he's a good father. I found myself freshman year in Birmingham, Alabama with five roommates, 300B apartment, totally having bought the lie that God wasn't who he said he was. I had watched my parents experience challenges in ministry, challenges with finances growing up. I had watched them experience things. And all through this as a middle school and high school, I got to the point in college where I actually stepped in and I said, wait, I don't, I don't actually know if you're good. I don't. I think you're good at times, but I don't think you're perfectly good. And I found myself broken in this closet, crying out to God. And it wasn't the Bible verse on the bathroom wall at my parents' house that fixed or solved that problem in my heart. 
God actually came and he met me in this closet in Birmingham, Alabama. He came and he picked me up and he grabbed all my broken pieces and he put me back together. And in that moment, I was able to go, oh my gosh, I have tasted, Psalms 34 verse eight, I've tasted and I have seen that you are good. It's deeper than a knowledge, it's an experience. The same year I'm driving back from the beach, we're going 80 miles an hour down the highway and we get clipped by a truck. There's four of us in the car and instead of, instead of the car going out of control, somehow we pull over to the side, we don't, we don't wreck the vehicle. And I remember sitting there, all of us just completely silent and we go, oh my gosh, like we just experienced God as our protector. It wasn't me reading about God as a protector, it was me experiencing him as my protector. Years later, I was working at Starbucks and I walk in and a barista pulls out of her pocket an envelope with $300 cash with my name on it. She just says, hey, someone came in and told me to give this to you. Little did they know months earlier, I took a big step of faith to pursue some ministry things and I didn't know how I was gonna forward life. And I walk in and in that moment, it wasn't me going, oh yeah, Jehovah Jireh, he is the provider. I'm going, oh my gosh, he is my provider. And I think we as Christians, we should have experiences like this. We should have moments in our life where they're just deeper than reading about God's kindness. But we actually go, I have felt and experienced deep within my heart, this kindness of God. And so for this camp, do you know him? Do you know him deeply? Do you have a faith of your own? My camp three, and this is for the beaten down. This is for the people who maybe at one point your faith was really vibrant. Maybe you were, you loved coming to prayer meetings and worship nights and you were involved in the, the mission of the church, but you found yourself just beaten down by life. And I would imagine Israel in their 40 years of the desert, there were times where they're just tired of the dirt, tired of the sun. Did the Lord sustain them every morning? Yes. Did their clothes and their shoes never wear out? No, they never wore out. The Lord was faithful to provide. And yet I think there are moments in life where it's just like, I'm just tired. I'm just hurt. I'm just exhausted. Life has punched you and they didn't hold any punches. And if that's you, I have three things that I felt like the Lord put on my heart to this camp. And the first one is Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. The Lord says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and you will find rest. I also think another thing that you can offer, and I've said this before, but worship that costs something is what blesses the heart of the Lord the most. And so if you are just beaten down and exhausted with life and you still choose to press in to seek his face, I think those are things that bless the heart of God more than anything else. Worship that costs nothing is worth nothing. And then my final, my final encouragement to this group is there is a better land, a promised country to us. Israel was promised a better land. And, they, and there, were, there was a generation that wasn't able to see it and they were in the desert, but the truth is we have been promised a better country. And we may not see it on this side of eternity. We may not, but there is a better land that has been promised with no hurt, no pain, no tears. It is a better country and we have been promised that. But I wanna challenge, challenge you with this. I believe that there will, there will not be one of us who gets to heaven and we actually look our savior, our king, the one who has ransomed us, pursued us, bought us, loved us, and we look him in the eye and we go, Man, I wish I would have binged one more Netflix series. I just, I really wish I would have. Or, oh my gosh, that vacation destination. I wanted to go there and we just didn't get to it. We just couldn't. Oh, if I would have been more intentional with my investments. I, oh, why didn't I? No, every single one of us will get before our Savior and our King and we will look them in the eye and go, oh, I wish I would have known you better. 
I wish I would have known you better. I wish I would have done better sharing your love with the people around me every single one of us. And so my encouragement to this group, do everything, muster up every amount of energy to reprioritize your life to what matters most, to seek his face, to seek his face. And my camp four, my last camp, maybe you're sitting there and you're going, well, actually none of these really resonated with me. I feel like my relationship with the Lord is pretty vibrant. I feel like I hear his voice. My time with him, they're tender and they're precious and I love it. And, and if that's you, then I think you might be a Moses-like figure. I think that you are one who is able to, to spend time with the Lord and seek his face. And that might be a good amount of our older generation here. Maybe you have years under your belt and your times with the Lord are sweet. And if that is you, my, my only request is find yourself a Joshua. Find yourself a Joshua. Exodus 33, that verse, I think it's verse 11. Yeah, it says that. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. If that's you, find yourself a Joshua. Because the problem is if our moments in the tent with God, if our moments where we're praying and we're interacting with him, if, if, if that's it and it doesn't actually lead us out into the brokenness of this world, then we're missing it. We see Jesus is teaching, you don't just light a candle and then put it under a bowl. You light a candle and you let the light shine. Every single time Moses would leave, his face would shine. And we live in such a broken world that we need Christians' faces to shine in the darkness of this world. And so if you are a Moses-like figure, do not just stay in the tent. Get yourself a Joshua and actually let your light shine. It's fulfilling half of the great commandment. Is if, if all we can do is love God, but we can't love people, then we're missing it. So find yourself a Joshua. Older generation, allow your ceiling to be the next generation's floor. Bring them into the tent with you. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to love their spouse. Teach them how to worship. Teach them how to serve. And I'll just even say this. I, had, I mentioned this with the pastoral staff on Thursday, but um, you don't graduate from these camps and never go back. Even, even myself who works for a church, I have to remind myself, remind my soul, no, seek his face, seek his face, seek his face. Don't, go, don't grow comfortable by my own tent. No, seek his face. I love Psalms 27. It says, the Lord said unto me, seek my face. And my heart's response was, your face, O Lord, I will seek. And so we even have to remind ourselves, we don't just graduate on, activate, wake yourself up to go, no, I need to reprioritize myself to what matters most. Because I believe the beauty of the Israelite story and our story is that through all of this, what becomes most clear is that God desires relationship with all of us, with every single one of us. Yes, God calls Moses-like figures, but he also called Israel up the mountain. But the problem is similar to Israel in the story of Exodus. Often our great salvation moment, the splitting of the Red Sea in our lives, God's miraculous provision, and the many commandments we do have to follow is that those become the theme of our life when all of those were supposed to point us to relationship with him. All of those things were to drive us to deeper intimacy and friendship with God. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, we have almost forgotten that God is a person and as such can be cultivated as any person can. You have ears that were tuned to hear his still small voice you have eyes that were fashioned to gaze upon his beauty and a body that was knit together to feel the warmth of his presence and a spirit given to you to commune with the king. 
So let, let us not as a church, let us not settle with a life distant from God. Let us not be okay um, hearing God's voice through a pastor or a teacher. Do not settle for simply watching other people experience God. When you were created for all of that, I was created for all of that. And so I'll finish with this. Fourth, fourth century thinker and um, theologian, St. Augustine of Hippo says this. He says, the heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. The heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. And your heart will always be searching and longing for something deeper until you find it in him. You will never truly be satisfied with simply hearing God's voice through a pastor or a teacher or a Moses-like figure. Your heart will never be fully fulfilled with this life until you are alone and you hear his voice on your ears. You were made for the tent. I was made for the tent. I was made to see his face. You were made to see his face. So let's not be a group of people who are okay with worshiping from the comforts of our own tent. Let's not. Let's be a group of, let's, let's be a body of believers who are hungry to see his face, hungry to hear his voice, hungry to experience his presence. So if you guys would, would you stand with me and let's pray. If you're, even if you're comfortable, would you just lift your hands like this? Oh, gracious Lord, we just come before you and we just, we just lay our lives down. We lay our hearts down. We want to come and we want to, we want to repent if there is areas in our hearts that have been off. If we have allowed our pursuit to drift to something else, Lord, we want to come back into alignment and say, we want to seek your face. We want to seek your face. We don't want to settle for, for a relationship outside of the camp. We want to settle in the tent. We want to speak to you. We want to hear your voice. And so God, even as, as we go into this Christmas season, as we look to a new year, Lord, would you allow us and help us and strengthen us to prioritize our values with what matters? And that's you. Would we be hungry for the word? Would we be hungry for your presence? Would we be hungry to see transformation in our city? And Lord, would we not settle for a lukewarm, superficial relationship, but would we be hungry to experience you in a new, fresh way? So God, we bless you. We honor you. It's in your mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen.